Welcome to Coffee and a True Crime Dumpster Fire. This is a true crime podcast. That's right, a true crime podcast. For those in the back, I'll say it a little bit louder. This is a true crime podcast. This show is a show for grown folks. That little E over there next to my podcast, that means that we use some foul language every once in a while. Just every once in a while. Enough to flag it, you know. So, we talk about really generally vile, disgusting, and horrific things. Dismemberment, disembowelment, death in general. Lots of really horrible, terrible things. But we also, like I said, we cover the three key things that everybody in life enjoys. Coffee, true crime, and of course, dumpster fires. So, settle in. Come get warm by the dumpster fire. Make sure don't touch it, though. Don't want you to get burned. Don't want to get sued. Just saying. But, again, all kidding aside, you have been warned. Turn back now if you don't like that kind of thing. And by the way, I like my coffee black and my tea in the harbor. If you don't get that reference, you need to go ahead and turn back now. Otherwise, settle in and enjoy this week's episode of Coffee and a True Crime Dumpster Fire. Hey everybody, welcome once again to another exciting episode of Coffee and a True Crime Dumpster Fire. I'm your host, the mysterious Mr. C. This is episode number four. I've actually done four consistent episodes. And someone forgot to turn off the sound on their phone. Who could that be? Oh, no! It's the unpaid... Per- oh, well, yeah, whatever. The guy that doesn't make any money. <laughs> Who's that? Oh, that's right, that's me. Uh, anyway, episode number four. So, this week's Coffee of the Week, we did. Uh, we, we had uh, Wicked Joe. It's actually a really good coffee. We did the... Had the big house blend. It's the medium roast. Kind of a uh, has kind of a, a a honey flavor to it almost. Uh, uh, it's hard to describe. It's sort of a, a little more flowery, I guess. It's actually really good. Super smooth, easygoing. I did whole bean. Yes, I know, I know. I ground the beans first. Good Lord. Give me, a, give me a little bit of credit. All right, so anyway. Meanwhile, back at the ranch. So this week's episode, we're going to talk a little technology. Or more importantly, how it uh, catches some killers. I got a few, I got a few shorter stories this week uh, that, that all, are all related to the technology. So... Um, and, and I got to give you sources that was important. I haven't done that yet. I'm supposed to apparently do that. I've put them in the show notes and you'll be able to find links in the show notes. But, um, so this week, most of my sources, I got sources from wired.com, uh, oxygen.com. Hey, no judgment. Stop right there. No, stop. No judgment. Uh, CNN again, no judgment, please. Uh, the Expert Institute, Sage Pub Journals, and CBS News. Um, so let's just jump right in. You know, technology, right? I, I mentioned it. We all have it. We strap it on our wrists. We carry it in our pockets. It's it's on our t- in our TVs. It is, I mean, even it's in our kitchens, everywhere, including even a pacemaker now talks to the doctors that's insane um but we've we've gone down this road though in the world (laughs) you know it used to be that i mean everything has gotten so way out of whack i think I, i know i'm gonna go off on a tangent for a minute bear with me everything has gotten so far out of whack and so complicated it used to be that I, I saw this somebody this this is a quote that I saw that really kind of made me chuckle and it's true. Um, it used to be back in the 
50s and 60s, your car would actually come with your the manual in your car would come with instructions on how to adjust the timing of your motor. You know, f- but now it, it, the instructions are basically don't drink the antifreeze. <laughs> uh, shows where we've gone in the world. Anyway, but the technology, though, everything now is smart, air quotes. But with everything being smart, it's this, this same technology is also now becoming a witness. Who here, show of hands, has one of those um, devices that if you say her name, I have one and I don't want to say her name and, and let the government listen, but – if you know, you know. Uh, you have one of those devices, and right, show of hands, how many, you know, how many people have one, right? And there, I mean, even so, they're going to come. There comes a time when all of this technology is a witness. It's going to tell on you, or it's going to tell what happened to you. Uh, and I, I. Went down a rabbit hole, a horrible rabbit hole, um, which I'm, I'm want to do sometimes, well, rather frequently if you ask my wife. But hey, um, I, I go down these rabbit holes when I'm researching these different cases, and there was a case that popped into my head. Hey, I remember I, I was talking to my I was talking to my wife about Fitbits and all these things and whatever, and I remembered a case that popped into my head. You know, I was like, hey, there's this case um, of you know, a Fitbit. The the Fitbit told on somebody, and, and it, it witnessed the murder. I mean, they, they used it to convict a murderer. And so <clears throat> I made the mistake. By the way, side note, very important. Be careful what you Google. <laughs> Pay attention to what you're Googling. Because <laughs> it can be very, very bad. It can lead you down a really dark path if you're not careful. So... I Googled, my wife and I were talking, so I Googled uh, Fitbit murder. And wow at what came up. Woo! So instead of just doing one, I am going to come to you with a few of them. That these cases that were basically closed using technology. Uh, our first one was is the case of um, the murder of Karen Navarra. This woman is a 67-year-old pharmacy technician in San Jose, California. So on September 14th, 2018, she was discovered by a co-worker who, who I, I, guess, I guess this woman, Karen, had not been to work for a few days. Nothing, I mean, it was unusual because she hadn't called in or anything and the coworker was a little bit worried, so she's, uh, you know, I'm gonna go buy, I'm gonna go buy old Karen's house, and you know, she lives alone. She's a cat lady, apparently. I don't know, maybe not a cat lady, but she's 67 and living alone and been single. So I don't know, you tell me. But uh, no judgment, because I mean, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so at on the 14th of of September in 2018, this coworker. Says, I'm going to go by. She hasn't been, been to work in a couple of days. Let me make sure that everything's okay. Uh, it wasn't clear from what I was reading if she had a key or if the door was unlocked, how exactly she got in the house. But when she walked in the house, she found Karen with her head completely caved in. The coroner said that the head, the head trauma and, and the detectives and everything all agreed the, the head trauma made her, quote-unquote, unidentifiable. So that's pretty bad when you get your head bashed in that badly that you are completely unidentifiable. Uh, and there's brain matter everywhere. Yummy. Hey, it is a true crime podcast. Just warning. You know, you already got the warning. So buckle up because it's not going to get any better. And um, so she – they they find her, like I said, with her head bashed in. Tied, half, kind of, kind of half-assed, tied to a chair or 
slumped in a chair, not tied to a chair, sorry, uh, with an eight-inch butcher knife in her hand, and her throat was slashed. Uh, they, the detectives get there, and they can tell from Go that this is not that her throat was slashed after she was dead, because there's no like you know I mean it was a they were good slashes across her throat, and there's not that that wicked disgusting you know huge arcs of um, of arterial spray. Uh, instead, you know, there's just the slash mark. So you, you kind of got to go, what, what, what is that about? So they, they immediately see that it was intended to look like a suicide. Um, so there's stuff scattered everywhere to make it, again, look like maybe a robbery or a, something, you know. And they, they can't find, they don't find it. It's just stuff scattered everywhere and nothing really of any significance anyway. They can't find anything that was taken, per se. Um, then they, they get to, so they get her to the morgue and the coroner unzips the bag and realizes that on her wrist is a device called a Fitbit Alta HR. So this is a so anybody that's familiar with this, so anybody that's not familiar, a Fitbit um, is this, are these goofy little uh, wristbands. Typically, sometimes they have little uh, little ones that you can clip on your belt. Uh, but th- these ones uh, typically are these little wristbands, and they're just this little rubber wristband that you can't really tell what what it is unless you really look at it. It's got a couple of little lights on it and stuff, but um, this particular one actually has a watch on it. But, but it also it, it um, it's called Fitbit Alta HR, and it takes it measures. Of course, the idea of a Fitbit, by the way, is mostly to measure your steps. So they put it on your wrist because uh, your your arm naturally, when you walk, your arms naturally swing a little bit, except for Joe Biden's. I don't know why dementia, perhaps. Just saying. Anyway. Um, so, uh, the coroner sees this Fitbit Alta HR on her wrist, and he's like, you know what? I wonder. So, he talks to the detectives and everybody, and they get a warrant to pull the data off of, that's always smart, always get a warrant. When in doubt, get a warrant. Anyway, meanwhile, back at the ranch, uh, they get a warrant, they determine that she was dead five days before she was found, uh, based on at three twenty-eight p.m. on the night or on the eighth of September. So, and actually, I guess it was—I don't know—I said five, maybe six days, um, because she was found on the fourteenth. So yeah, six days. My math sucks. Sorry, forgive me. Horrible math. Once again, there I go. Right, so uh, she has three twenty-eight p.m. on September eighth. Last signs of life recorded by her Fitbit, and then can you imagine? So uh, the last signs of life were actually this uh, this huge spike in her heart rate, and then just this bottom-out crash. Uh, so now they have, with that, with that little bit of information off this Fitbit, they have the, now they know when, and obviously they know how because her head was caved in. That's pretty apparent how, but now they know literally to the minute when and how. They even know where, because obvi, right? Like my kids say, obvi, dad. So they, they go in and they then so they didn't even know where. So they're gonna do they're gonna wear out a little shoe leather, do a little legwork. And uh they find out see this is again technology, man. This is technology tells on everything. Big this is we live in nineteen eighty four people. Big brother is watching you. Big brother. <laughs> Ooh, man, I spiked, sorry. Uh, anyway, Big Brother is watching you. So, they're going to wear out a little shoe leather, and they find a ring doorbell camera. Again, they're getting more and more ubiquitous, right? 
Everybody has a ring doorbell camera. I have one. I have lots of cameras. My house looks like a CIA safe house or meth lab, depending on how you look at it. Anyway, um, <clears throat> from the outside. <laughs> no, no, no. Don't get any ideas. <laughs> um, anyway, so they find this, this ring camera, this, this ring doorbell camera on the neighbor's house. What does that ring camera have a view of? That's right, folks. Karen's front door. What do they see on that ring camera? Well, they show a gray Toyota. They they pull they pulled a, a small window, I guess. Again, it wasn't really clear, but they, they must have pulled probably, I don't know, five or seven minutes, probably easy, either side of uh, 3.28 p.m., right? So and what do they find, right? They find that they, they show a gray Toyota Corolla parked in the driveway. It was, the, and it's not hers. It's in the driveway before and after the time of death. Well, that's interesting. So who does that Toyota belong to? Well, that Toyota belongs to Tony Aiello, 90 years old. Buckle up. So he was there. So he is Karen's stepdad. He was there to deliver pizza and biscotti. Nice, harmless little old man, right? Right. I mean, 90 years old. This guy's, what is he going to do, right? Uh, I don't know. Have you met some of these World War II vets? My goodness. So, <clears throat> um, they don't call him the greatest generation for nothing. Just saying. Um, so he's there to deliver this stuff, and he's there before and after. And, of course, he doesn't really have any solid, you know, I mean, he just kind of dodges it a little bit until, dun, dun, dun. They, they tell him about a Fitbit. This poor guy had no idea what a Fitbit was, how it worked, none of that. Uh, ultimately, the guy died awaiting trial, but he, he, was, he denied everything for the most part up until they told him what a Fitbit was. And he was like, oh, well, um, I think I need a lawyer kind of a thing. I don't even – well, I take that back. I don't even think he asked for a lawyer. But, he, you know, it, it literally – I mean they, they – it turns out, like I said, that, that he – uh, was there, bashed her head in, and panicked and threw stuff everywhere, and, well, and the rest is history. Unfortunately, there's there's not much more than that because this guy died, I mean, 90 years old. You know, uh, the, older, the older that people get, I tend to believe that the older that someone gets, the less that life in prison is actually a deterrent. Just saying. I'm getting older. Again, just saying. <clears throat> anyway, um, he, he poor guy, like I said, waiting. He's ninety some years old. He was arraigned and whatever, but never actually faced trial or anything because, well, the poor guy died of old age, um, which is tra I mean that's kind of tragic, I guess, but it is what it is, right? I mean, technology told on the guy. I mean, he got caught by a ring camera. And a Fitbit. And so the next one that I want to talk about is there was an arson fire. Remember, let me let me back up just a second here. Remember when I mentioned at the beginning of this episode where I said even pacemakers are smart now? Spoiler alert. This dude's pacemaker told on him. So... In Middletown, Ohio, a guy named Ross Compton, his house was reduced. Beep, 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 beep. Try that again. His house was reduced to ash and rubble. Uh, the early in the morning of uh, September nineteenth, two thousand and sixteen. What is it about September? Uh, Four hundred thousand dollars in damage. Uh. Remember, like I said, though, I was telling you how even pacemakers now, spoiler alert, are actually smart. They communicate with, they use these new pacemakers, or new-ish, I mean, here we are, 2021, uh, but they use these, these pacemakers now can actually communicate with your doctors and your cardiologists, and they actually sort of record and, and memorize, and they have a memory and upload a memory to the cloud. Again, if you know what the cloud is, please drop it in the comments. I'm really interested. I want to know what the cloud really is. I don't need some long, drawn-out, you know, 
50-page technical specs and all that stuff. I just want to know what's the cloud. I'm just kidding. Don't actually put that in the comments, please. But do put in the comments, though, while I'm thinking about it. Again, I want to encourage people to put stuff in the comments. So put in the comments uh, your thoughts on some of the technology and where we're headed with it, good or bad. Uh, anyway, so this guy has a, a pacemaker that literally communicates with his doctors and uploads stuff to the cloud and everything else. But So he claims that he was sleeping, and all of a sudden his house caught fire, and he was miraculously able to throw a few items into a bag and escape the flames via his bedroom window. He smashed the window with his cane. See where I'm going with this? I mean, really? You're walking with a cane, dude. And you have a pacemaker. Uh, what? So, anyway, and you escape the flames via a window. Hmm. So, like I said, uh, normally it'd be a believable story. Hey, I smell smoke and something's on fire out there. I got smoke rolling under the window. I'm going to grab my... I'm going to grab my my bug-out bag, maybe, if it's... Cl- I, well, if you're smart, your bug-out bag is somewhere near your bed, whatever. I'm going to grab my bug-out bag and jump out the window. Of course, I only have one story, eh, neither here nor there. I don't know if... It doesn't say whether or not he was on a second story or anything like that. But, and normally, it would be a believable story. I mean, you believe that, right? You buy that. You know, if you're a, if you're a cop or a firefighter or whatever, you, you buy that. That, hey, you know, I grabbed my bug out bag and jumped out the window. I smelled the smoke. Time to go. Uh, except that, like I said, this guy is definitely not the picture of health. Neither am I, but, I mean, I got the dad bod going, but I'm okay. Um, I mean, really, the guy had a pacemaker and a cane. So he's definitely not the picture of health. And he keeps on this he keeps on bitching and whining about all of these medical issues and stuff that he's got going on while they're trying to question him and get him in, you know, lock him into some kind of story or something. Get him go you know, get him, you know, yeah, locked into a story and get him to maybe tell the truth. But again, uh, you know, just get some kind of story from him. And, but he's complaining the entire time about all these medical issues that he's got going on. And um, except they're like, huh? And, and by the way, I don't know what those medical issues are. And even if I did, I have enough respect for that stupid HIPAA and all that stuff. So there's no, they're not relevant. The medical issues and stuff aren't relevant. The specific medical issues are not relevant. So they aren't in any of the – like I actually went and found um, a legal a, – a case uh, case law. That's what I was looking for. A, a legal opinion about whether or not you should be allowed – whether or not the court should be allowed to issue a warrant for medical information like that. Uh, which ultimately they did allow for that to be used, uh, but good for good for the the uh, on the detectives. By the way, thinking outside the box because he's complaining again of all of these medical issues, and then he mentions the pacemaker. Of course, then the light bulb goes off with in- investigators. They get a search warrant for the pacemaker records, and as they say, the rest is history. Because spoiler alert. Um, according to a cardiologist, and again, the records don't name this cardiologist, at least not where I could find it, just that the, the, they had a cardiologist that reviewed it, and he said that it's, quote, air quotes, highly improbable that a person with Compton's medical conditions could do, could do the things that Compton was claiming he did. Uh, so... They get he gets arrested because aside from the medical data, the fire was clearly arson because you're they're seeing points you know multiple points of origin, all these things that point exa- and and indicators of accelerant and 
also he had traces of gasoline on his shoes. Again, uh, spoiler alert, he's dead before trial. Um, again, not exactly the picture of health. The guy's got a pacemaker. Hmm. Walking around with a cane. Hmm. And got various myriad of other crazy, uh, you know, medical issues. So now after all of that, the last case I want to talk about is actually a case where a Fitbit saved a man from going to prison. Actually gave him a solid alibi. I mean, like rock solid. And, spoiler alert, shh, they actually found the real killer. Unlike, you know, OJ, he's trying to find the real killer. OJ, you might want to talk to these guys. Anyway, <clears throat> so Nicole Vander Hayden on March twenty six on March twentieth, two thousand and sixteen, Nicole Vander Hayden and her boyfriend Doug Detry got a babysitter at the last minute for the three kids. Uh, two of them, Michaela and Tyler, were Nicole's from a previous marriage, and then six month old uh, Dylan. They got a uh, Nicole and her boyfriend Doug got a babysitter for the three kiddos so and this was like a last minute thing i guess and they went to so that this was so that they could go to a bar in green bay this was in wisconsin and they wanted to go to a bar in green bay called the watering hole they were going to see a come a band called steel panther they are uh they're quite a sight. I, I didn't know who they were. And forgive me if you're a Steel Panthers fan, whatever whatever it is. Um, but they are the, like, the casting call. I mean, like, the perfect movie image straight out of Central Casting hairband uh, 80s, you know, hair band, poison, pour some sugar on, kind of, you know, those kind of guys. Uh, I went down a rabbit hole watching their music. Whew. Uh, I mean, wow, is all I'll say. You should check them out. Um, you can check out, there's a song by them that you should check out called The Burden of Being Wonderful. <laughs> You're welcome. In advance, by the way. You're welcome for that. Meanwhile, back at the ranch. So, they want to go see these guys in concert. And uh, they're they they are at the watering hole there, and they see the band, and everything's kind of winding down. And Nikki decides that she's going to head to another bar, that she wants to head to another bar. So she talks to Doug. They discuss. They have a, a, a reasonable discussion. Nothing hinky, nothing horrible. Nothing like that at all. They they have a, a a normal couple discussion, and he's like, "Hey, I'm gonna finish up. Um, I'm gonna finish up my conversation with these guys over here, whatever. Some people, whatever that he met up with, I guess that were there at the bar or whatever. He's like, and I'll meet you over at because um, they're gonna head over to this other bar called the Sardine Can. It's like a group of friends, by the way. Uh." So he's like, yeah, I'm going to finish up my conversation and I'll meet you guys over there. So Nikki and a lot of and a few of the friends, they all head over to the sardine can. Who names these bars, by the way? Really? The sardine can? Come on. Are you kidding me? It gets better, though. Trust me. Stand by. There's better bar names because as, as the story goes on, it, it gets a lot better. So they're going to go to the, I mean, the watering hole, the sardine can. Really? Come on. And, and they haven't gotten any better. I, I, these bar names haven't gotten any better. Bonefish. I mean, no. I will not. Um, anyway, so... <laughs> um, so, Doug starts to take a little while. He's, you know, gets wrapped up in whatever conversation he's in at, at, the, at the watering hole there. That's an original name. Uh, they're having their... He's having their conversation, and he's catching up with friends and whatever, woo you know, having a good old time. Well, Nikki 
is being, you know, I hate to say this, but she's being a, a drunk woman. Um, some women are like this. Let's not kid ourselves. No, I'm not going to say that because I, I, I get it. Some women, when they get drunk, they get all in their feels and get all weird and, and they're not fun to be around. We all have it. Well, and, and listen, guys do it too. We all have that one. Everybody has that one friend. We all have, there's a few types of drunk friends. You have the drunk friends that are, woohoo, party time, right? And then you got, and then you got the downers. And then you got the people that get all in their feels and whatever. And then you have the ones that are going to tell you all about yourself. I don't know. I think Nikki kind of fell into that. I'm going to tell you all about yourself category. Anyway, so she decides that he's taken too long to come over, to walk over. This is like a, you know, Green Bay has like a downtown area just like every other major city where they have like a cluster of like, you know, eight or ten bars or whatever on a block. Um, Denver has Lodo. Uh, Miami has, you know, South Beach, all those things. Um, etc. So, Green Bay is the same way. You got this little cluster of bars so that you can walk to all of them. So, uh, again, being drunk and whatever, she starts because she's, again, she feels like Doug is taking maybe a little too long to get over from, to get from the watering hole over to the sardine can. Saying that out loud just sounds really stupid. Anyway, so she starts to send angry texts, you know, uh, as sometimes women do when they're drunk. And she's starting to accuse him of cheating and all these things. And then she tries to call him. Well, he doesn't answer. So then one of the friends that's with her calls him. And he answers. So now she is pissed. I mean, just, you know, again, a drunk, not even a drunk woman, just a drunk person. Uh, so she storms out of the bar and she storms off up the street, and essentially she disappears into the night. That's it. Last time anybody sees her alive. Poof. She's gone. So Detri finds this out. Um, one friend tried, I guess, when when um, when she stormed out of the bar, one friend did sort of follow her out of the bar, but lost her and saw lost her to sight, saw her walk away, and, and went back in the bar. And that was fun. Again, somebody forgot to turn off a ringer somewhere. I hate it when that happens. Um, anyway, meanwhile, back at the ranch, uh, and I'm leaving that in, by the way. I'm not taking that out. Um, so, then a friend follow her up the street and whatever, and then, so uh, Doug finds this out, and he grabs his friend Gray, and they go off in search of the ma- the maiden, right? The fair maiden. Must find the fair maiden. We're off to find the fair maiden. Well, they don't. They strike out. And uh, no dice. So they make their way back to the sardine can and they drink a little bit more and then head out and go home, assume, I'm assuming. So now we have drunk, drunk Doug home, whatever. And Nikki Van, that's what they called her, Nicole Vanderheden. They, her nickname was Nikki. Go figure. Uh, if I didn't mention that already, sorry, my bad, but you guys are an intelligent group. I think you'll figure that out. Anyway, so, uh, that morning, that morning, things begin to change. The situation changes, right? No, Doug did not call the police. Strike one for Doug. Maybe even foul ball, we'll just say. I know the baseball references, right? Right? Baseball reference? Really? Yes, baseball references. Um, so, um, the farmer discovers a, a naked body laying in the weeds on his farm. Only socks. That's it. No ID, no nothing. Just a Jane Doe. So she's a Jane Doe, this naked body in the on a farm near, outside, just outside of Green Bay, I guess. Uh, this naked body is a Jane Doe until about 4.30 in the afternoon when Doug decides, I better call 911 and report my, I don't see my girlfriend anywhere. 
So um, maybe I should call the cops and report her missing. And again, it's 4.30 in the afternoon now. Um, many, many questions. Why didn't you call earlier? Blah, blah, blah. All these things, right? Whatever. So, of course, this does not look good. And right from jump, these detectives, they, they hone in and right on to uh, Doug. I mean, the boyfriend always did it, right? I mean, <laughs> duh. And, and they, they start their searches and stuff. They come up with blood evidence from his garage and in Nikki's car. There's even a shoe print on the body with smears of blood on him. And they find at Doug's house, where they live together, of course, they find a pair of shoes with smears of blood. Um, I say air quotes blood. That's important. Air quotes blood. Uh, that they, you know, they, they find this in the house. They find, like I said, blood on the garage floor, blood in the, in the, um, in the car. And, uh, And then, an exit ramp near the house, an off-duty police officer finds clothing, scattered clothing, her purse, her phone, just kind of thrown out of a car on the exit, on a highway exit ramp near their house. Now, this isn't good, right? This is looking bad. This looks bad for Doug. Doug has a problem. So much so, because they, and then they find... About 120 feet or so from Doug's house, across the street, they find a curb um, in front of the neighbor's house. They find what they believe to be the scene of the crime. Dun-dun-dun. I have to insert something there, maybe. I don't know. We'll see. Anyway, they find the scene of the crime. And where, where she was murdered. Because they find, like, I guess they find a bunch of blood all over the curb. <clears throat> Clumps of blonde hair. A, a phone charger cord. And some other, various other stuff. And so they send, they end up sending off 70 items of evidence to the lab for analysis. So this isn't, this is not CSI. They're not going to have, they're not going to have lab results in an hour. This isn't, you know, TV, whatever. So they hook Doug up to hold... They hold him on a million-dollar bond initially. And I'm not sure I was reading... I don't understand how they managed to do this. But they hold this dude for 18 days. And he swore up and down that, you know... He swore up and down that he had nothing to do with it. He had a story that was pretty solid. You know, he went home. He got home at about 3 a.m., after they searched for her and everything, and got home 3 a.m., nothing, you know, and he went to bed and got up periodically through the night to check on the baby and to take a leak and slept until way into the afternoon when ultimately he called um, the cops about her being missing. So the evidence takes 18 days to come back. And... Uh oh. The blood in the car isn't hers. The blood in the garage isn't even human. The stuff on the shoe isn't even blood at all. So now they have a problem. Apparently, though, the stuff across the street was hers, but not, none of it was his. It was hers and an unknown male. Um, <clears throat> so, again, they realized they they saw in the video of their um, part part of their evidence gathering and everything. They um, Doug agreed and let them analyze and gave him the metrics and everything. Gave him he had a Fitbit as well. This one was just a. Um, I saw the pictures of it. This was just a, a standard Fitbit. Um, I don't know that it. I don't know what it's called exactly. Uh, it just measures. It actually measures. The only thing that this one measures, if I remember right, based on the picture, 
that I saw of him wearing it is it's just it's very basic. It measures like your sleep and your movement. That's pretty much it. At any rate, so the they they drop you know they they dump the records of the Fitbit and ding 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 ding. It actually corroborates based on the based on what uh, Doug told them. And the analysis of the Fitbit says that, yeah, aside from a few steps to get up and go take a leak and whatever, he's pretty much dormant. Uh, a few steps here and there to go up and take get up and take a leak and et cetera. But then they that's so they they after eighteen days, they gotta let him go because they don't have anything anymore. All of their uh, the shoe, the blood in the garage, all those things. Um not being what they thought they were, they got to let him go. They still kind of think, like I said, they kind of think in the back of their head, maybe this is him. So, but they send off all the other DNA because they they got some DNA results or some DNA samples across the street, you know, from all that stuff. So, um, it's interesting because again, technology really hammered somebody. Not it saved Doug. It saved Doug because they stopped. You know, they kind of let him, they, okay, he's good to go, I guess. So they get their DNA results back after a while, and they get it. Well, they they had DNA results, but they put it into, um, I believe, CODIS, and, um, and they come back. They get a hit, uh, a match to a guy, eventually, to a guy named George Birch out of Virginia, uh, who's... It was where his criminal record was out of. And they find out. They kind of do some homework on George Birch. And they find out that he lives in the Green Bay area. He had come in. He moved into the Green Bay area just a few months uh, before the murder. Um, and they're trying to figure out. So they, they narrow down the fact that he moved to moved to Green Bay from Virginia a few months before the murder. Then they track down, they're trying to figure out, maybe he's got some police reports here or whatever, we can get an address, these things. Well, they come up with an accident report uh, that shows up for this car that his buddy, that George Birch's buddy loaned him. There's an accident, it was a hit and run, and the car was burned to the ground and whatever. Um, So they they figure out, though, that this guy, you know, they kind of get some surveillance on him and whatever, they figure out where he lives, all these things, and they figure out that he, that during that investigation, when this car is, you know, had a, there there was a hit and run and all these things involving George and his car. They find out, the the investigators find out, they they really do their homework and they find out that um, during that investigation, George had surrendered his phone and allowed the investigators to dump it. Um, For those that, well, you're listening to a true crime podcast. Of course, you know what they mean. What I mean by they dumped it, <clears throat> and when they dumped it, they took everything. So they start going through uh, these investigators start going back through his phone, and maybe there's something there in these phone records that will help them get somewhere. Then they find out when they're going through these reports and stuff that that um, he had a Gmail account which is attached to what they call um, a Google dashboard. Sorry, I have a 12-year-old. You'll have to forgive me. I'll pick up where I left off. I took a brief pause there that you guys won't even notice. Uh, But again, I have kids and, you know, (laughs) they have lives. Um, Anyway, so he has a Gmail account. And uh, Gmail uses, you can, I don't know if, See, I, I need to look now. It, it got my wheels turning. It got me thinking. Oh, that's scary. Because it has... Gmail gives you... They use um, what's called Google Dashboard. And Google Dashboard will take your phone and your GPS data. And holy cow. What they found out with this guy's GPS data. They, they went and... Um, they went and pulled... Like I said, they figured out that he had a Google Dashboard. This dude named George Birch. Again, technology really telling on people. Big Brother is watching you. Oh my God! Woo, woo, right? Ooh, sorry, I spiked on that one. Now that you're deaf, 
Um, you won't be able to finish the podcast. I'm really sorry about that. And that's all I got for you tonight, folks. No, just kidding. Um, anyway, so they pull the data from his Google dashboard, and they find out that this dude is all over this murder. Like, he was in, again, like I said before, these, these names get kind of weird. I mean, these, these names for, all these names for the, <laughs> these names for the uh, bars. This dude was at a bar that night, right, like, next door to uh, the sardine can. Or right down the street or something. <clears throat> Richard Cranium. If you know, you know. I'm just going to leave it at that. That was the name of the bar. Richard Craniums. Uh, anyway. Um, if I have to explain that to you, you probably shouldn't. You're probably too young to be listening to a, a true crime podcast. Um, but he was in the bar there at Richard Cranium's most of the night. And then about the time that they think that Nicole stormed out of... Um, out of the sardine can, whatever... They met up and talked or whatever they think, maybe. Uh, but it shows him leaving Richard Cranium's, going over by uh, Nicole's house, or Nikki's house, and Nicole, same person. Anyway, over by that house and shows him, like I said, all over the murder, out, out where the body was dumped, shows him driving that ramp, all these things. Really scary stuff what Google knows about you. Really, really, really scary stuff. So, but this knucklehead, so they they try, the defense, so they, they arrest this guy and they charge him with intentional first degree, um, intentional homicide is what they called it. Um, and he took it to trial. I don't know why. I mean, he had a public defender. So it's not like the lawyer is going to make any extra money off this guy. But anyway, so he um, – the, the the defense in this trial tried to paint Doug as, um, you know, not the, – their relationship is not being great and all these things and whatever and <clears throat> trying to really, really hammer on Doug's character, and it didn't really work. So they put, again, side note, important, very, very, very important piece of advice. You have the right to remain silent. <clears throat> it's very important. Use that right. Shut your pie hole. Seriously, just shut up. Don't talk to the cops. This is coming from, anyway, don't talk to the cops. Don't don't offer information that they don't ask for. Uh, all those things. Be cordial on a traffic stop. Give them license, registration, proof of insurance. But don't go above and beyond. Be be polite. There's a way to be polite and not. But don't talk to the cops. And then don't get on the stand. Don't, again, I'll say it for those in the back. Don't get on the stand. Seriously, do not get on. Anyway, <clears throat> so again, I digress. Sorry, went on a little rabbit. You know, woo. Meanwhile, back at the ranch. Uh, so he actually, this knucklehead actually got on the stand. I don't know what he was thinking. I really don't. What was he? Th I mean, he can't. No, 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 no. Stop. No, don't do it. So, he claimed, or tried to claim, that she agreed. They were flirting, and she agreed to have sex with him. She agreed to go home and have sex with him. And, um, and that they drove around for a little bit, and they pulled in front of her house, and instead of, you know, sending the babysitter home, and getting their groove on in the house. No, they're just going to bang right there on the side of the road. Um, and it gets better, though. It, it gets much better. It really does. Because then he claims that at six foot seven, which that's pretty damn tall, um, 
at a six foot seven, it was kind of hard to get um, to get entry, if you know what I mean. And so he was standing outside, had her lay down in the back seat, and was standing outside of the blazer. Um, yeah, horrible visual there for you, right? Got got a terrible get get you a good bla- get you got a good visual now. He's standing outside of the blazer, and she's laying in. Anyway. So now, though, but his claim is is that um, while he's going to town, somebody sneaks up behind him and knocks his dumb ass out. Uh, he believes and, and says that it was um, Doug. That Doug came up, and Doug's not a big dude. He's not a small dude, but he's not a big, you know, Relative to, uh, yeah, relative to Bert, he's not, yeah. Um, but again, so he claims that that he was knocked, that somebody came up behind him while he was doing his thing and knocked his dumb ass out. Well, and then when he came to, there was blood everywhere. Oh, there was so much blood. Right, there's blood everywhere. That's This is his statement, mind you. There's a ton of blood everywhere. And now he's being forced by, presumably Doug, to transport this body to a field, the field where they found her. And while he's carrying the body out into this field, he gets the bright idea that he's going to try and knock over Doug and run to his blazer and head for home. Well, let me rephrase that. He claims that he did not, that he pushed that that he dropped the body, pushed Detri to the ground, and took off for his blazer, jumped in, and headed home, throwing Nikki's stuff out along the way. Does anybody else see any problems with this? Uh, for one, let's see. Supposedly, Doug had a gun. No shots fired. Huh. Wonder what happened there. Oh, and how on God's green earth, how in the hell did Doug manage to get back home if if he rode in there and held old George Birch, or was it George? I don't even remember now. <laughs> Birch. Yeah, George Birch. Uh, you know, he holds old George Birch there. Uh, if he's holding George Birch at gunpoint, how did he get back home? Eh, just a thought. You know. Anyway, all is right with the world. They find George Birch guilty, sends him away to life in prison, and there's the end of the story, right? Of course. So, there you have it, folks. That's this week's episode. Don't trust technology. It will tell on you. Don't trust technology. Again, it will tell on you for those in the back. Alexa, all those different... Oh, wow, she didn't hear me. Shh. Nope, she didn't hear me. Good. All right. So, Alexa didn't hear me. Yay. That's awesome. Anyway, so... Stay safe, don't get zipped in, and we'll see you next time.